is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Clippers, your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Locked On Clippers podcast. Today is Monday, May 1st, 2017, and we are in the offseason. The LA Clippers season is officially over following their Game 7 loss yesterday at home to the Utah Jazz. And now as we transition to this next period of the year, this period in between seasons where we see rosters um, built and sometimes totally broken apart. We have both a lot to talk about and in a way not nearly enough to fill the time. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's so many potentialities, there's so many player options and restricted free agents, not in the Clippers case, but around the league. There's partial guarantees and potential trades potentially for the Clippers finding a new head coach, a new president of basketball operations, a lot of stuff going on. At the same time, we've got two months before anything can even happen on July 1st when NBA free agency begins. Now, there are some things that can happen. In between. I shouldn't say anything. Doc Rivers' future with the team will likely be decided before then. If he's still with the team on July 1st, then... He's going to be with the team, but it'll come down to, is he back as coach or coach and president of basketball operations, or is he gone altogether? We'll talk a little bit about that today, but obviously talk more in depth as the summer goes on, as we start hearing rumors. But, you know, as, as far as Chris Paul being a free agent, Blake Griffin being a free agent, JJ Redick being a free agent, are the Clippers going to let those guys walk are they going to keep them are they going to use the money elsewhere we won't see any of that until July 1st if there's a potential trade uh, maybe for Carmelo Anthony for example we could see that before July 1st or we could see it afterwards depending on the cap situation Um, Carmelo Anthony before July 1st he's technically making less money but after July 1st he can voluntarily waive his trade kicker because of the new collective bargaining agreement. So they'll have to figure out exactly the deal that works for them and then when is the proper time to pull the trigger. And the NBA draft comes in late June, but we don't have any... The, Clipp- the Clippers don't have any picks, and right now we don't know that the Clippers are necessarily interested in acquiring one or will be able to acquire one because of the new invention of two-way contracts in the NBA that allows teams to keep extra prospects under their control. It seems like teams are going to be a little less willing than normal to sell off those extra second-round picks because now they can keep guys on two-way contracts. So we'll, we'll see how all of those landscapes are shaping up as we go, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg of things that we can discuss during the offseason. But at the same time, like I said, We have two months before free agency begins. We have, after that, 
several months of nothing before we start getting to training camp and basketball again. So I'm going to urge you guys to be a little patient with me. I know everyone wants to go in-depth on, is Chris Paul coming back? Is Blake Griffin coming back? And again, we'll talk a little bit about that in this show, but ultimately we have a lot to talk about, but we probably have twice as much time as we need. So we're going to go slowly, thoroughly, get through these topics, make sure we address a ton of different things. And then once we start getting into June, we'll talk really a little bit more about possible free agents, how the Clippers offseason could end up looking on a micro scale. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about a macro scale, basically like management and superstars. And then once we get into June, we'll start talking about here are some mid-level exception guys. Here, you know, here's what they can offer Luke and Bamute. Here's what they can offer Mo Spates. That that sort of smaller thing, building the second unit, rounding out the roster. So for now, I want to talk about Game 7. And I don't want to dwell on it too much. But like I said, we've got a lot of time to talk about all these things. We've got weeks to talk about Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and Doc Rivers. And so today, immediately after Game 7, I want to just talk a little bit about what went on. And part of the reason why today's podcast is coming to you a little bit late, um, I'm recording this on Monday afternoon instead of normally I would record Sunday night and put it up very early Monday morning, is because I was kind of put I kind of put off this podcast all afternoon Sunday after the Clippers game seven loss. And then I ultimately decided some point later in the night at like eleven o'clock or midnight, I decided that I was gonna just sleep and record it today instead um, and then so around 2 a.m. I got like just the sudden urge to write and I went and wrote an article six big bold predictions for the Clippers summer um, you can go check that out on the Clips Nation blog but for right now let's let's talk about game seven now that I've, I've got a few hours of sleep behind me so ultimately I think what came back to doom the Clippers in this series was two things that I've been talking about for at least two to three months, which are health and rest. Now, health, you can only do so much about. Partially it's tied into rest, partially it's not. And I think that this Blake Griffin injury wasn't a fatigue injury. It wasn't because he was playing too many games, too many minutes. The Clippers could have coasted at the end of the season and had time to rest him. I think he still would have just landed weird and gotten hurt. He could have been playing less minutes all series. I think he still could have just landed weird and gotten hurt. So I, I'm not sure that you can necessarily attribute that Griffin injury to anything the Clippers did wrong. But that doesn't mean that it's not important. And it shaped this series in, in an important way because people were saying when Blake got hurt, well, the Clippers' offense will actually be better now. You know, it's like the like the cute storyline on NBA Twitter was the Clippers have a better offensive rating without Blake Griffin. That's true. I mean, it's the numbers. It's true. But sometimes you need a little more, you know, you need to think about the numbers instead of just reading the numbers. And the reason that the numbers look so good without Blake Griffin is because the Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan pick and roll is a great offense. And when Blake goes to the bench to rest, or when Blake misses a game in February against Minnesota, that Chris Paul DeAndre Jordan pick and roll is going to have a very good game. But what you miss when you're playing in a playoff series, when you're playing multiple games in a row without Blake, when you're playing full games without Blake against good teams, is that 
that Paul Jordan pick and roll is an amazing offense, but it is one dimension of an offense. And Blake Griffin brings you an entirely other dimension. He brings you a secondary ball handler. He brings you a transition scorer. He brings you another shooter. He brings you a post option. The Clippers without Blake Griffin, no one's running down the floor and sealing off guys in the post and getting layups like Blake Griffin has been doing since his return in, in January. No, The Clippers don't throw the ball into anyone in the post except for Blake Griffin. How many, how many post-ups did the Clippers have in these last few games with Blake Griffin out? Did they have any? DeAndre might have had a couple. There might have been a couple to DeAndre. I don't, the, the, I don't, the Clippers probably had like one or two post-ups a game with Blake Griffin out. There's no post dimension to the offense. And yeah, you know, the post-up game isn't sexy. It's not part of the modern game. And even Blake Griffin has gone away from it over the last five years as the game has evolved and he's developed more efficient options like his jump shot. But at the same time, it's an important wrinkle to your spacing to pull the defense in. And the Clippers don't have it without Blake. And so what we found was that without Blake Griffin, the offense can be fine for a half. The second half of game three, the offense was great. Chris Paulo attacking off the pick and roll, DeAndre Jordan rolling to the basket. And then you get into the next game and the defense starts to lean a little more heavily on that pick and roll. And where do you turn to? You don't have that extra wrinkle in your offense. You are very one-dimensional. And the result over an extended period of time was that Chris Paul's and DeAndre Jordan's workloads went up so much because not only are they playing these big minutes, but they're also playing pretty much as the focal point of every possession. So Chris Paul might have played 38 minutes in a game when Blake was healthy and 38 minutes in a game when Blake was out. But when Blake is healthy, you know, a third of the possessions, two-fifths of the possessions, Chris is throwing it to Blake and spacing the floor around him and letting Blake make a play. With Blake out, Chris has been making the plays on almost every single possession, and when he doesn't, look at who he's deferring to. It's not Blake Griffin, it's Raymond Felton or Jamal Crawford or Austin Rivers. And those guys are all fine second unit players, but they're not offensive focal points like Blake Griffin is. They're not 20 point a game superstars like Blake Griffin is. And we saw the inconsistency from those secondary scoring options. And we saw times when Chris Paul was tired and none of the other guys were stepping up and playing well. And that brings you back to the rest factor, which is... Obviously, the Blake Griffin injury impacted the rest factor because guys' minutes were forced up and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan's individual workloads were forced up. But the other dimension to the rest factor that the Clippers could have controlled is that this series dragged on to seven games when it didn't need to. Now, like I said, the Blake Griffin injury had an impact. It hurt the Clippers' offense. It was a big part of why Utah won the series. But at the same time, the Clippers still should have won this series. And I'm not saying the Blake Griffin injury had an impact to try to take anything away from the Jazz's victory. But the Clippers still should have won this series even with Blake Griffin injured. Game one, when Blake Griffin was healthy, when Rudy Gobert went down, when you're playing at home, there's no excuse for losing that game. And game four, with Gordon Hayward having food poisoning and the Clippers actually playing well enough to take that lead in the fourth quarter... There's no excuse to lose that game. You can't lose that game to Joe Johnson. 
you can't lose those two games to Joe Johnson and reasonably expect to make a serious run in the playoffs. You just can't. And so you lose those two games to Joe Johnson, and you lose the other two games because, you know, shocker, Utah's actually a pretty good team, and they're going to beat you sometimes. And that's it. That's your season. It's over. Um, so that's, you know, the, and if the Clippers even take care of one of those two games, if there's one fluky Joe Johnson game that they end up dropping one they should win, they can still win this series either with a Game 5 victory at home, Game 6 on the road, which they end up winning, Game 7 at home. You know, 3-1 lead obviously is not invincible, as we've seen in recent years, but it's a lot more comfortable than a 2-2 tie. And the Clippers put themselves in this position by dropping two games early in the series that they were really... It's not even like Utah outplayed them. The Clippers were in the driver's seat, and they just never stepped on Utah's throat. They never put them away. And even after that 2-2 tie, the Clippers came home to Game 5 in Los Angeles, crucial Game 5 in Los Angeles, and they didn't play with any sort of killer instinct, with any sort of... They didn't have the urgency until the very end of the game. They go to Game 6, now they're playing with the urgency. Now, Game 6 was, you know, really like they played like it was an elimination game. But once you put yourself in a position all series long that you're facing back-to-back -back elimination games with a quick turnaround from a Friday night game in Utah to a Sunday afternoon game in Los Angeles, your legs aren't there. And we saw that, you know, Chris Paul, 6 of 19 from the field, 1 of 7 from deep. The jumper clearly wasn't there. He only scored two points in the second half. And Chris was playing all out, aggressively going after rebounds like I can barely remember him doing, grinding, grinding, knowing that his physicality wasn't there and trying to make crafty plays to draw fouls, to get assists. And the only reason the Clippers were even relatively close in this game actually was because they got a good game from Jamal Crawford, which, you know, Jamal Jamal actually had two good games in the series, which you probably wouldn't expect. Um, I, this is by far the best, the best postseason of Jamal's Clipper career. His first time as a Clipper that he shot over 40% from the field in a postseason. But ultimately... You know what? It just wasn't enough, especially with with Chris being as tired as he was. It just wasn't enough. And I think the big problem, again, you can look at what went wrong in Game Seven, and sure, there were there were mistakes made in Game Seven. Luke and Bamute only playing 15 minutes was a huge mistake. While Paul Pierce played more than him, JJ Redick actually only played 22 minutes, and I think Doc Rivers went to him too much in the second half and should have gone away from him and continued playing Felton and Crawford. But I think the bigger issues weren't what happened in Game 7. And you can also look at the shooting. Clippers, 6 of 25 from deep, 24%. Jazz, 6 of 13 from deep, 46%. So the Clippers used 11 extra possessions on three-pointers to make the same amount as Utah did. So they might as well have just gone, you know, 6 of... 6 of 13 like Utah did and then throwing the ball out of bounds 11 times for, for what that for what that's worth. But again, bigger than those factors, bigger than what happened on the court in game 7. I think the you know, the way that I see it is the events that shaped what game 7 looked like had far more impact. The Jazz weren't healthy at the beginning of the series. 
They missed Gobert for three games. He was on a minutes restriction in Game 4. Gordon Hayward missed most of Game 4 with food poisoning. The Clippers went 2-2 two and two in those games. In the back half of the season, the last four games of the season, the Clippers weren't healthy. They lost Blake Griffin. But Utah started getting healthy. Game 4, Gobert comes back on a minutes restriction. Hayward is 6. But then Game 5, Game 6, Game 7, they're at full strength. And yeah, Rudy Gobert got in foul trouble, but he's in the game. He, you know, he he got his his six fouls. He just got them in very short order. Blake Griffin misses half of Game Three, all of Games Four, Five, and Six, and Seven. And Utah obviously wins that back half of the season. Now, the back half of the series. So, again, this isn't to say Utah got lucky because of the injury. Utah took advantage of the opportunity that Blake Griffin's injury presented to them, whereas the Clippers failed to take advantage of the opportunities presented to them by Rudy Gobert and Gordon Hayward's injuries. That, I mean, this is, this is just reality. You can't say that the Jazz beat the Clippers at full strength because they didn't, but you also can't really say that the Clippers were at a huge injury disadvantage when they had opportunities and they weren't able to take advantage of them. So, I mean, I think that's enough talk about, about this Game 7 and this series. I'm sure we'll remember it differently a couple of weeks from now, a couple months from now, a couple of years from now. But right now, I just feel like the story of this, of this series ended up being the story of the Clippers season, which is, I said in December, when Chris Paul rested against the Houston Rockets to avoid aggravating his hamstring despite having played a few nights before in New Orleans because he was back in New Orleans and he loves New Orleans I said we're going to look back on this head-to-head matchup between the Clippers and Rockets and remember that Chris Paul rested you know took the game off for rest now it didn't end up mattering it's not like the Clippers lost the tiebreaker to the Rockets on head-to-head games but the Clippers did not get the, they ended up not getting the seating they wanted because they didn't bring the intensity throughout the season starting with watching the Cowboys on Thanksgiving when they were 14-2 and then going and losing in Detroit, Indiana in Brooklyn rolls over to not closing out a game against Washington in December it rolls over to Chris Paul opting to get extra rest against Houston at the very end of December it rolls over to dropping games against sub 500 teams in January it rolls over to those close losses where the Clippers, again, I, I said this at the time too, you get bad bounces at the buzzer against Milwaukee and Dallas in March. It happens. You get bad bounces at the buzzer. But what you can do is build a lead against teams that you're much better than so that you're not in a position to lose on a bad bounce. And the Clippers didn't do that. They blew that lead to Sacramento. They easily had games where you could go back and say, they could have pat- they could have finished in third place this season if they had brought it and they didn't bring it and you can go back and look at that series and this series against the Utah Jazz and say the Clippers could have advanced if they had brought it but they didn't or they brought it at the wrong times they brought crazy energy in game 6 but they had already put themselves in a position where they needed to bring crazy energy in game 6 and they shouldn't have needed that this series and the Clippers aren't so much better than the Jazz that they should have swept them. I'm not saying that. But the way the series played out, the Clippers could have swept them. Because of Gobert's injury, because of 
Gordon Hayward missing game four, the Clippers very easily could have won this series in a sweep, even though that's not something that I envisioned as an outcome going in, and it's not something that I think is a fair represent. I'm not saying the Clippers are so much better than the Jazz, they should have swept them. I'm saying the way this series played out, it was very possible. It was an achievable outcome in retrospect. But they didn't bring it. So it's disappointing. It's you know Culturally, I think it's something that's disappointing all season long. Now, just to close up this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about a post that I put up on Clips Nation late last night. Um, actually, just briefly, I want to say one more stat from the Clippers-Jazz series. It's something that I talked about early in the series and kind of lost track of. The Clippers ended up shooting just under 35% from three on the season. The Jazz ended up shooting just under 39% from three on the series. So Utah shot 2% better than their season average. The Clippers shot 2% worse than their season average from deep. And you can attribute that to a lot of different factors. You can say Utah played better defense against the Clippers than the Clippers played against the Jazz. That's probably true to an extent. You can say that Utah specifically froze out J.J. Redick who is the Clippers' best shooter, so they had a lot of less efficient guys taking shots. That's absolutely true. Um, but there's also a little bit of luck in it. Boris Diaw made like 5 of 10 from 3 on the series after shooting like 24% over the course of the season. There's a little bit of luck there. And at a certain point, it's just a make-or-miss league. You get bounces, you hit shots, you don't um, in a limited sample size. And in a series that was as close as this one, with as many games... You know, the only game that had a double-digit margin was Game 7. Every other game was was relatively close. And so, you know, sometimes you make shots, sometimes you miss shots. And the Jazz just made more shots than the Clippers, especially in Game 7 when the Clippers had their coldest shooting game of the season, or of the series. So, you know, there's that. But now, moving on to the offseason, I put up this post, six big predictions for the Clippers' summer, because I think this is the summer that the Clippers... Don't blow it up, but mix it up in the sense that if you anyone who looks rationally at the options for the Clippers knows that if you lose Chris Paul and you lose Blake Griffin, you're only getting worse. There's no reasonable path to improving as a franchise, improving as a team without Chris Paul or Blake Griffin. At the same time, obviously things are a little stale and you feel like you need to make some changes or otherwise you're just ramming your head against the wall. Again, looking at it rationally, Chris Paul doesn't really have a better alternative to go to unless the Spurs free up money for him. That would be tempting, I think. But other than that, he's not going to go run and sign some max contract with whoever just to be on a worse team than he would be on and play with worse teammates than he is right now with Chris and Blake, or with um, Blake and DJ. Same thing goes for Blake Griffin, and both of these guys have things pulling them back to L.A. Their kids... Chris's family is now settled in Los Angeles. Both of them have a ton of business stuff going on outside of basketball and a little bit of celebrity status that you get from being a big-time millionaire athlete in L.A. that you don't get in some other cities. So a total blow-up doesn't make sense for anyone. Leaving doesn't make sense for Chris Paul. Leaving doesn't make sense for Blake Griffin. And letting them leave doesn't make sense for the Clippers. But they do need to make some changes. And so here are my six bold predictions. Prediction number one, Chris Paul will re-sign with the Clippers. Not sexy, but important. It means the Clippers are going to keep being good, but it also defines 
the vision of this franchise for the next five years as short-term maximizing Chris Paul's championship window. It doesn't mean throwing away draft picks like Doc Rivers has done in recent years, but it does mean that you're going to be signing veterans. You know, you're, the focus of the franchise is on the now. You're not rebuilding. You're building, not rebuilding. Blake Griffin is going to re-sign too, but that's going to be a little more stressful. I think Blake is probably going to take some more meetings. He's probably going to take a meeting with the Lakers, which I know won't make people happy. And the Clippers are going to be a little uneasy about the idea of a max contract because of his repeated injury history. Ultimately, though, like I said, the Clippers don't have a better option, and Blake Griffin doesn't have a better option. Common sense is going to win out. He's going to be back on a max contract. In fact, because Blake Griffin... Right now, he's at the 30% max tier, but if he signs a one-year contract plus a player option for a second year, if he comes back and makes the All-NBA third team next season, which he should do if he has a healthy full year, then he'll be eligible for the 35% max and a really huge contract next summer. Now, it's a big gamble because of his health, but that's something that you could potentially see as a compromise where the Clippers don't have to invest as much money in Blake before they see something good from him. But then once they see something good next season, they're going to have to pay a lot more, and Blake's going to get that mega max that he really wants. So we'll see. That might be the option. But ultimately, it doesn't make sense for Blake to leave. It doesn't make sense for the Clippers to let him go. They're going to they're gonna come to a deal. Here's where it starts getting into the changes a little bit. J.J. Redick is not going to be a Clipper next season, and I don't think it's going to be especially amicable. Um... Redick had a great four-year run. You know, you guys know I love J.J. Redick, but he slowed down on both ends of the floor, especially defensively where his size and lack of athleticism are really being exposed. Next to Chris Paul, it's always been an issue having two little guards because they don't have def- – you know, it's hard for Chris Paul to get a lot of breaks defensively because he's playing next to J.J. Redick. And that that's only gotten, I think, worse than ever this season. And the Clippers need – especially as Chris Paul continues to age, to put someone at the shooting guard position who can both handle the ball to lessen Chris's load on offense and be, a, be some sort of defensive contributor. Whether you get a wing who's going to help out at like small forward defense so that you don't have to lean on Luke and Bamute as heavily, or whether you get a guard who can, you know, a bigger guard, not like a little guy, but someone who can help out guarding the elite point guards of the NBA. But you need someone there who's going to take some of the load off of Chris, both offensively and defensively. J.J. is a perfect accent, but he does not relieve Chris at all. You know, I think the Clippers need to make a move for someone there who can space the floor around Chris, but isn't going to be the same force offensively that Redick is with his ball movement. But the flip side for that, what you're getting by losing that ball movement, or losing the off-ball movement, will be someone who can help Chris out handling the ball, and help Chris out defensively. Now the thing about JJ is that there's been some frustration there. He was frustrated this season when the team had some losses. He was frustrated with the attitude in the locker room. We know that Chris Paul has this really grating style, this grating personality on his teammates. And we even saw them having a shouting match on national TV in Game 7. So I think obviously there's some, there's some baggage to this Clippers group after their big losses and the locker room fights and all that. And I think that Redick will be the biggest, the, you know, the first of the core four to depart, basically, after this sustained period of success but failure. And it'll be interesting with how public J.J. is. You know, he has the podcast. 
he, he might go into broadcasting. Be interesting to see what kind of stories come out from JJ and his camp about this Clippers group, especially after his departure. I think JJ could probably end up with a team like the Knicks that would make like a short-sighted decision on signing a guy who's going to boost their offense and give them some shooting for probably about like $18 million a year. Carmelo Anthony will be a Clipper next season. This is the boldest one yet. <laughs> um, so this is part, you know, like the second half of shaking up the core after you let J.J. Redick walk. Melo brings the Clippers that dimension offensively that they need that J.J. Redick doesn't quite give them. So while Redick is a perfect accent, he is not an alternative dimension. And like I talked about earlier in the show, the Clippers really missed Blake Griffin because then the offense became highly one-dimensional around Chris Paul. Carmelo Anthony gives you a guy where when a team doubles Chris Paul in the fourth quarter of a game, you throw it to Carmelo Anthony, and he's a deadly isolation scorer. Killer. And the Clippers right now, they're throwing it to Jamal Crawford. They're throwing it to J.J. Redick. Redick can hit shots, but he's not going to make a play. Jamal Crawford can make a play, but just not very efficiently. Carmelo Anthony is a far superior option and scorer to those guys. Now, the fit is a little questionable because... He obviously sets the Clippers way back defensively at the small forward position, but that's another reason why getting rid of J.J. Redick is palatable. You put a really good defender at shooting guard, wherever you find him, and that makes up, you know, that defender can cover for Paul sometimes, can cover for Melo sometimes, and then you re-sign Luke and Von Mute off the bench. You stagger your lineups so that you're playing Melo as a stretch four next to DeAndre Jordan, like we kind of saw Paul Pierce doing a couple years ago, and then you're playing Blake Griffin on the second unit with a center who can space the floor. Maybe if Mo Spates is resigned, that would be a good fit. So, you know, I think I think that would that could really be easily worked out to kind of play Melo Griffin Jordan at times with an elite defensive shooting guard, and then you go to a smaller lineup with Melo at power forward, DJ at center. You go to a bigger lineup with Blake at power forward, the backup center in and Luke and Bamute helping out both of those lineups defensively in the small forward position off of the bench, I think that could be really effective. Um, and then transitioning from the roster into the front office a little bit, I think Doc Rivers will not be with the Clippers by draft day. I think he's going to go home to the Orlando Magic. His wife still lives in Orlando. There's tension with the Clippers. The seat is getting hot. He does not seem to have the passion anymore for day-to-day -day coaching. And the Orlando are looking for a seasoned NBA guy to come in and run their basketball operations. Now, I don't think Doc Rivers will be welcomed back as the Clippers president of basketball operations. I think Doc River, I think Steve Ballmer is going to say, you can stay as the coach, but we need to get someone else above you to run the team. That's going to be another reason to help force Doc out because he doesn't you know, he hasn't had a boss with the Clippers. He's been his own boss, essentially. And that new power dynamic would be weird. So that's another reason to help push him to Orlando. Now, here we get to my last big prediction. Who the Clippers' new manager is going to be. And the Orlando Magic have been interested in this guy, but obviously if you're, you know, if you're an NBA executive and you have offers on the table to go run the Clippers with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan and Steve Ballmer's wallet, in Los Angeles, or to go run the Orlando Magic, where are you going to go? 
you're going to go to the Clippers. And so David Griffin, the general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who has not received an extension from the Cavaliers and will be joining a new team this summer, if he has offers from around the league and he's going to be getting these offers as soon as the Cavaliers season is over, the Clippers can make the best offer. Steve Ballmer has the most money of any owner. Los Angeles is the best city in the world with great weather. I mean, people, you know, people are like, well, hey, I live in Milwaukee and I love Milwaukee. You can't say LA is the best. Well, listen, you're going to be in this place from like November through March, April, May. Do you really want to be in Milwaukee from in November, December, January, February, March, April, and then go on vacation during the summer? No, you want to be in L.A. during those months when the weather's nice. And then, yeah, I'm from Milwaukee. I love Milwaukee. Fine, man. Go be in Milwaukee in August and September. But you don't want to be in Milwaukee in January. I mean, I live in New York. I love New York. But... If I had a job offer in New York and a job offer in Los Angeles to be there from November through March, I can come live in New York over the summer, man. But I, the weather's so nice in LA. You, you know, people who live in, in California don't. Yeah, I definitely didn't understand before before I came to New York. Just the weather difference, like man, you have to put on just to go walk the dog so that he can go to the bathroom. I have to put on like three layers. It's ridiculous. In LA, it's like you can wear shorts all year all year long it's raining you're wearing shorts it's people don't care in LA um but so that you know it's a it's a such an attractive offer for David Griffin the best roster he's going to have you know Steve Ballmer basically is going to hand the keys to whoever he hires he's not a, a meddler he's going to give him a ton of money it's going to be in LA it's the perfect it's the perfect situation and this will help because Orlando is very interested in David Griffin from the Cavaliers and obviously they're not going to get him because the Clippers, if the Clippers pursue him, he's going to choose the Clippers, in which case Orlando then will be more likely to turn to hiring Doc Rivers. So those are my predictions. I think Chris Paul will be back. I think Blake Griffin will be back. I think Jay Uretic will be gone. I think Carmelo Anthony will be traded for. Maybe it's part of a J.J. Redick signing trade. Maybe it's the package that the teams are talking about at the trade deadline. But it certainly seems like Phil Jackson is pushing him out. And it makes a ton of sense for Carmelo Anthony to come play with Chris Paul and the Clippers in Los Angeles. I think Doc Rivers will be gone because Steve Ballmer is going to push him out from basketball operations. And then I think the Clippers are going to have the best offer for David Griffin, who's going to be the best executive on the market. Thanks for listening, guys. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, hit me up on Twitter at LucasJHan or email me lhan.clipsnation at gmail.com. This is Lucas Hand signing off for Lockdown Clippers.